Good day to all of our investors and general listeners. This is the Rudd Commentary. My name is Josh Rudd, and I'll be your host on this presentation today. With me today, as always, is Jack Herr from our Capital Markets Group. And manning the controls, or should I say womaning the controls today, is Morgan Lindquist. How are y'all doing? We're good. For our new listeners who may not be familiar with our firm, the Rudd Company is a wealth management firm headquartered in Fort Worth, Texas. We manage investments for successful families and organizations across the country, and become your wealth manager, confidant, and personal CFO, so you can relax and focus your time and energy on what's important to you. Jack, this has been a challenging May, wouldn't you say? Yeah, we've seen a lot of volatility, haven't we? We have. So how do you think investors are responding right now in this type of a market? Well, believe it or not, Josh, we actually saw the S&P 500. And for our investors who don't know, that is the index that most broadly tracks the market close positive in May. I don't think that tells the whole story. I did pull a stat here that I wanted to give our listeners. The S&P 500 had a daily decrease of more than 3% three different times during the month and capped its longest weekly losing streak since 2001, Josh. But it did surge the last 10 days of the month and we ended positive. So I think that's pretty telling about how volatile it was in May. I understand. I don't know about you, but I felt like some of those days I needed some drama, huh? Yeah, yeah, and you could never really predict. I wish we we had a crystal ball, but unfortunately <laughs> we don't. So, well, Jack, I know you're excited about getting into this topic, but before we do that, can you just take us into the trading room and let's take a look back at May and and what are some of the greatest hits and headlines and things that investors should be considering with this volatility? We've had a very active month. You know, we we like to tell our clients that. We don't go and hide under our desks when we see this volatility, and that certainly wasn't the case in May. We really, really wanted to stick to high-quality investments in this time of volatility, profitable companies, dividends, market leaders, and actually a topic we talked about last podcast. So I'd encourage a lot of our listeners to go back and listen to that. It's still timely now during this volatility. This doesn't just apply to the equity markets. It's the bond markets as well. And I don't know if a lot of people have realized this, but we've had quite a big draw down historically in the bond markets as well with the interest rates moving up. So some clients that may be in bonds may not have expected that big decrease, but same thing applies there. We want to stay into high quality bonds. But Josh, the main thing I wanted to get across is that with this type of volatility, we're excited to come into work every day. We get to find opportunities and we get to buy these high quality companies at cheaper prices. So that's something that we look forward to. We get to work in the morning and we get in the trading room and we're ready to go. So, so Jack, are you wearing your tap dancing shoes into the office every day? Uh, I don't have tap dancing shoes yet, but <laughs> I may have to get some soon. No, I completely agree with you. I, I, just on the point that you said about interest rates, one of the things that I feel that was a surprise to a lot of investors, Jack, was the speed at which those interest rates moved. Yeah, it was really quick. And And when you see that type of move in the bond market, like I said, it's just not expected. And it's historically, it's it's a big move. So it's something we need to keep an eye on. And also how that impacted the regular, not not just the regular investor, but the regular consumer. I mean, think about individuals looking for a home, you know, or building a house. My goodness, you know, they go in and they start looking at mortgage rates and they calculate their payment. And, you know, we saw rates move from in the low threes to the mid fives pretty quick. Yeah. And I think even a lot of younger people like me got used to the cost of debt being pretty cheap. And now we're starting to see things trend to a more historical norm. I think we still may have a little bit of a way to go, but yeah, young people like me may be in for a rude awakening there. Well, I don't know if I can tell our listeners that they heard it here first, but if you go back and listen to the previous podcast, it is something that we have been preparing for uh, this large interest rate move. It never happens when you think, 
But it definitely wasn't a surprise to our firm, but it was almost shocking how quickly interest rates can move. You know, most people equate bonds and other interest-bearing investments is, is pretty boring, right, Jack? And I think at the end of the day, when you see those prices move like that, it, it really makes an impact. So I appreciate you taking us through uh, the trading room. I, I know that was a big help to our listeners. So Jack, today I heard we're going to be discussing uh, some things investors can do or things they shouldn't do during this type of market. Yeah, Josh, I think there's some very common mistakes that investors often make in these down markets or in volatile markets. So um, we have a pretty exciting guest I'm excited to ask some questions too. I'm excited to be here too, Jack. <laughs> so Josh, what is the first one you'd like to discuss? So right out of the gate, some things I think resonate with me more than others because of the type of position that our firm is in as a fiduciary, right? And we are very empathetic to individuals that retire in markets like this, right, Jack? So you separate from your company, you've worked for 35 or 40 years or you've just sold your business and you've had a large payout and you've either rolled all your money into an IRA or, or a series of IRAs, or you've initiated an investment strategy. And it can be very challenging not to anchor the value of your investment portfolio to that high watermark that you reached in the top of the market. I don't remember exactly when the day was, Jack, depending on the indexes you look at, but the top of the market, let's just say within the last year was somewhere around the end of the year or January 2nd, right? A lot of investors have anchored in their minds that the value of their portfolio should be the value that it was on that date. Right. And that's really challenging for us as professionals. I, I don't feel that we should be measuring our performance as investors in general from those high watermarks. And it's very difficult. It's very hard on you if, if you do that, especially if you're retiring or you're making large changes or if you just took a, a large uh, payout of cash or rolled over an IRA you could be looking at your portfolio now and you could be down 10 or 15% or I guess even 20 or 30 if you're in all NASDAQ or technology companies, right, Jack? But if you're benchmarking against that high watermark, it's going to be very difficult for you to stay invested or adhere to your – it'll be more difficult for you to adhere to your long-term term plan if you're constantly using those peaks as your benchmarks moving forward. So the advice I would give investors is, is when you look at your investment portfolio, remember there's peaks and valleys. And the market return, depending on which investments you're, you're in or which investments you've chosen, is somewhere, I won't say halfway, but it's somewhere in between the high watermark and the low watermarks. In fact, when you look at famous investors like Warren Buffett, I would say that they look for the low watermarks. They do the exact opposite. They're looking for those troughs or those valleys to deploy capital. So I think one of the first mistakes investors make is, is by continuing to anchor on those high watermarks, Jack, I just think it's very difficult to compare investment performance over the next six, 12 months if you're comparing everything against January 2nd. And I think, like you said, it being at the exact beginning of the year is close to the high, you know, that makes it a little bit harder for investors. Oh, it was brutal this year, wasn't it? I yeah. mean, we have every performance report, depending on which uh, investment you're in, but most performance reports are negative year to date. And that's just because we put in that high watermark. Again, depending on what type of investments you were in, it may have been August last year, but uh, most likely it was around the end of the year. Yeah. And I think what helps me even personally is just taking some context. 2020, 2021, we had very good years in the market. So being able to look at maybe some performance over the last three years or two and a half years, that, that helps me at least you know deal with some of the volatility we're seeing today. It is. And on that point, just remember uh, to our listeners, Mr. Market is, is not a stable individual. He's going to tell you the value of your investment portfolio every single day, even if you don't want to know it. And he's very bipolar, you know, and he's 
going to come to work one day and be euphoric and he's going to come to work the next day and be depressed. And that's what we've seen really since the pandemic. And I believe nine or 10 times that I've been in the business, these massive corrections, ups and downs. So uh, just put things into perspective. And, and if you realize that markets get overvalued and undervalued from time to time, that really helps. And Josh, while we're on the topic of long-term performance, do you usually find it difficult for investors to adhere to those long-term goals, especially during this short-term volatility? Oh, absolutely. It's it's something that's really challenging, I think, for new advisors, especially with our firm. They'll spend time establishing an investment policy for a new family and really dig into the long-term goals and objectives and get excited about helping that family meet their goals. And we go through a market period like we've seen, and investors can really second-guess some of those long-term goals that they have. And, and one of the things that I'll tell clients is, if a market correction or a bear market like we're in now is impacting your plans to go relocate or how you're going to spend your time, you need to find yourself a new advisor. You need to take another good hard look at your financial plan. And, and the reason I say that is we've got a lot of experience establishing these plans. For example, our distribution rate guidelines on most of our plans may be a little more rigid than a lot of our competitors. But the reason is, is we've seen markets like this before. And a good investment policy should not change just because the market has had a down year or because we hit a challenging headwind, whether it's economic policy or interest rates or whatever the case may be. So what I try to explain to investors is short-term changes are expected, and we do our best to, to plan for those. Now, we can't guarantee that changes in the market are going to have no impact on your initial withdrawal rate or, or no impact on long-term goals and objectives if there's a major change. But for the most part, Short-term changes, economic data, things like that, the market uh, hitting its peaks and valleys shouldn't have a major impact on your investment policy. And we feel that we make plans and, and establish goals and objectives that can withstand these most common market setbacks. And I feel like at the center of that investment policy sometimes is the asset allocation. Can you talk a little bit about how that asset allocation fits into the investment policy and what we do with the asset allocation during times like this? Yeah, I can. And that's a really good point. It kind of goes along with your, your last question. Your asset allocation is a part of your long-term investment policy. And we've determined that through just a, a, a very rigorous process that looks at your risk tolerance and uh, long, short-term goals, and really just what your capacity to take risk, your financial situation, your liquidity, all those things that go into establishing that overall investment policy, which leads to a target asset allocation. And what I believe happens is in challenging markets like this, investors see that a certain portion of their portfolios is performing poorly. And so they may become reluctant to stick to that allocation, which is asking them or, or suggesting that they do what? Well, it's, it's suggesting that they should rebalance their accounts. Absolutely. And right, hit that target asset allocation that's been established for them. And investors, uh, some investors have a real hard time doing that, especially when maybe the equity part of their portfolio is down 10% or 15% or in a bear market, 20%. So sticking to that asset allocation that you formed in a very well thought out investment policy is absolutely critical and, and can provide enormous benefits if it's done on a regular basis over a long period of time. It's an extremely important part of a successful investment strategy. And I think it's really overlooked. I agree. I want all of our investors to know too, you know, when we talk about actively managing our accounts, we do have some freedom there to change asset allocation based on how we feel about certain prices in the market. So, you know, if, if we do feel like stock valuations are more attractive, maybe we can allocate more to that portion. But I just wanted to bring that up that 
you know, we are actively managing the accounts there and we do have some freedom to decrease or increase certain exposure into certain places in the market. The Rudd Commentary is brought to you by The Rudd Company. At The Rudd Company, our sophisticated team becomes your proactive wealth manager, your confidant, and personal CFO. So relax and focus your time and energy on what's important to you. Contact us today at rudco at therudcompany.com. That's R-U-D-D-C-O at therudcompany.com. And I'm glad you brought that up too, Jack. One of the things I'd like to walk our listeners through is in a general investment policy, when there's an asset allocation assigned based on risk capacity or risk attitude on a particular family, there's going to be a range, for example, of equity exposure, you know, where the market may look, and I mean by that the stock market may look a little expensive from our perspective, like how it did maybe back in November or January of this year, where our firm may be a little lighter in our exposure to stocks because we think they're a little overpriced. And those are opportunities and and the flexibility that you're talking about is really built into our investment policy. It doesn't go and change the client's risk tolerance. No, not at all. It gives us flexibility, like you said, to go in and make adjustments within certain tolerances to achieve whatever that client or family's objectives are. Yeah, Josh, I think it's a great point. Now I want to take it in a little bit of a different direction. One of the unique things about this drawdown in the market is we've seen a lot of the most expensive stocks, the stocks that everyone knows about that have done really well during COVID come way down, sometimes even 60, 70, 80%. And I hear a lot of investors saying something along the lines of, hey, these, these stocks are way down. They look super cheap. How could they go any lower? Can you just address that, especially when some of these investments are pretty speculative and maybe quickly losing a lot of the, the revenue that they may have had before? Yes, I can. And in fact, you, you stole one of my most common mistakes investors make. Uh, I definitely wanted to mention this today. I'm glad you asked. So when you see an investment fall and you use numbers that we're actually seeing right now, you know, 60, 70, 80% down, the more aggressive investors' knee-jerk response is, oh my gosh, it's time to buy, which if you're following a quality investments, for example, on products that we use every day, that we used every day, whether we're in a pandemic or not, that's a good reflex to have and, and you can do very well as long as you put in the time and, and energy or you have somebody like us doing that research for you. I think I'd caution investors from two different perspectives. One of those you mentioned is those companies that their revenue growth and the need was primarily pandemic-based. That's a little challenging right now for a lot of investors to distinguish between a spike in revenue from an online retail company that is large and doing business anyway, uh, where they just may have tough comps for last year because everybody started buying things online, or a company that their sole existence was doing some type of vaccine or testing-related activity due to COVID. Those are two very different scenarios. The revenue growth may look very much the same on both of those, but one has a future that's less dependent on the pandemic or isolated ripple in the overall market and the other one doesn't. And so I would be very cautious of investors just looking at those, you called them drawdowns. And I think that's a a very accurate term because the price reductions have been precipitous in nature. And we can jump into securities that maybe we haven't done research on yet or or that really aren't in line with our long-term objectives. The second thing that I would like investors to, to really think about in markets like this, sometimes companies are down for a reason. Whether it's uh, commodity-based businesses or oil and gas or you know some other highly volatile industry, 
there are some companies that are down because they are poorly managed or they have a very speculative balance sheet or they have trouble accessing the capital markets or as you talked about in your market update, maybe the cost of capital is increasing with interest rates and it's going to make their business model impossible. So I just want investors to understand that one of the biggest mistakes that we see from uh, the do-it-yourself crowd and from some professional brokers in our industry is just because a, a stock is cheap doesn't mean it's a good investment. I think you hit it spot on when you were talking about the high quality of investments. You know, That's our job is to determine between those high quality investments and some of those companies that may not be doing as as well as we thought they were going to do coming out of the pandemic. I think that's another mistake that we discover with a lot of investors is they may panic and sell both of those investments. And I agree, Jack. It really comes down to viewing your investments as investments and not as gambling. These are real companies. They're managed by real people. They make real dollars. And we want to buy companies that make real goods and services that people use every day. I used to talk to the team about, you know, 10 years ago and, and then 20 years ago when we went through the tech bubble crisis. You know, when you wake up in the morning in a bad market and we're still brushing our teeth and putting deodorant on and putting gas in our cars and, you know, basically everything under your sink you're continuing to use. And, and I know staples lately have been real popular, but there's part of the reason that they are real popular is because they're products and services that people People use every day. And when you compare those against companies that are down because they were filling a speculative need during the pandemic that wasn't economically profitable, you have to be very careful. I want investors to walk away with this simple fact that some investments are cheap because they're cheap investments. They're not high quality. And I would encourage our investors to go back and listen to our podcast on quality investing where we dive into this in a little more detail. So, Josh, you're saying we shouldn't sell some of those staple companies that you were talking about, those quality investments, just because the market is down, right? Not just because the market is down. We we like to say that you know, we do price the market more than we time the market here. We're focused on trying to put a reasonable value on the companies that we own for our clients. And if a company gets too expensive, you know, it gets too expensive and we'll exit that position. But I'm glad you brought this back up because uh, I won't go too far into the weeds here, but I do want our investors to understand that, you know, we don't want to sell a quality investment just because it's down. But that has to do more with fear and some of those short term things that we talked about earlier. If investors really uh, want to think more about this, just think about your favorite company. Each investor listening today probably has the fa favorite company that they frequent every day, whether it's the coffee store they go into or the brand that they wear every day to the gym or the, the new electric vehicle that they drive. You know, they may have a favorite company. And I would just ask those investors listening, would you sell that company, your favorite company that you own, just because the market was down? And if you think about it from that perspective, it's very clear. So just be careful. If you own a quality business, and you put in a lot of research, or it's the company that you work for, and you know that things are going well. I mean, our business, right, Jack, is the only business in the world when our prices go down, people run away. When our prices are marked up to all-time highs, you know, we're, we're tripping over money. So it's an odd place, our, our world, and I would just ask investors to remember that. Right. I, I think you put that well. The last thing I want to talk about, you actually briefly referenced it there. You talked about one specific word, timing the market. That's what everyone wants to do, right? You turn on the TV, they talk about where's the bottom, when can investors get back in? I think of a lot of investors really think that finding the bottom or timing the bottom is a lot easier than it sounds. It's, it's pretty difficult. It's hard to do. And like you said, we're focused on the long term buying investments at prices that we like and that we're comfortable with. So that being said, I think it flows through a lot to the individual investor and they say, okay, I'm going to stop contributing, whether it's my 401k, oh, no, yeah. my periodic contribution into an investment account, 
What's the danger in doing that? You know, that's a real hot button of mine, Jack, because this can have just a huge impact, negative impact on investors, especially young investors. And, and some of you that we haven't had the opportunity to meet that are listening today, I just want to make a very clear point that stepping back out of the market and waiting until things get better, what are we really saying here, Jack, when we say we're waiting till things get better? It means we're just waiting till prices get higher. And we, exactly. talk, we, ta we talked about uh, the, the oddity in our business regarding prices and consumers' desire to deploy cash. And this really is, is very destructive, Jack, especially when it comes to 401k investments. I have to just talk directly to the, the listeners that are currently investing in a 401k. If your life has not changed, you still have a great job. And especially if you're in an industry where you're in high demand. I mean, we're, I'm talking about industries like healthcare and I know air travel right now. I'm talking to my pilots right now. Do not stop your contributions into your 401k plans if your financial situation has not changed and you can afford it. Continue to put money in and in fact, reassess how much money you're putting in. In school, if we're finance majors or if we took a business class in college, we all learned about dollar cost averaging. And, and while that doesn't guarantee a profit or a loss, it mathematically lowers your cost of investment over a period of time. That is just such a powerful formula with compounding. And so stopping investment payments during challenging market can be one of the most expensive mistakes you make as an investor. And, and I would encourage you, if you've done the due diligence or if you've hired a professional money manager like our firm here, continue to invest, stick with it, and keep buying. Because, hey, now things are cheaper, right, Jack? Right. And we like cheaper prices. You know what they say, when the market gives you lemons, you make some lemonade. You know, Jack, as I've gotten older... I've thought about that, and I think I'm more of an Arnold Palmer guy. Yeah, Arnold Palmers are good. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's that point in my life as an investor, too. We can take those lemons in those down markets, and we can run in with that high sugar and citrus, or I can add in some unsweetened iced tea and, and uh, take it a little slower. So that's. Uh, I know you're the lemonade guy, but I'd, I'd like an Arnold Palmer. All that Arnold Palmer talk, that's making me thirsty, so why don't we wrap this up? <laughs> Uh, Jack, and, and thanks for walking us through this. And, and thanks to all of our listeners for taking time to listen today. As always, if you enjoyed this program, please subscribe to the Rudd Commentary on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your preferred podcast platform, and never miss an episode. Also, if you know other investors that would enjoy this program, please share the Rudd Commentary podcast through email or on social media. We also love feedback on our program and ideas for future topics. If you have the time, we would enjoy hearing from you. All of us here at the Rudd Company would like to thank you, our investors and clients, for your trust. Thank you for allowing us to be your partner in your long-term financial journey. We take this role very seriously. Thank you very much for listening today. This is the Rudd Commentary. I'm your host, Josh Rudd. And from all of us here at the Rudd Company, invest long and prosper. This commentary is distributed for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Nothing herein constitutes any offer to sell or solicitation of any offer to buy any security. All investment strategies and investments involve risk of loss, including the possible loss of principal invested, and nothing herein should be construed as a guarantee of any specific outcome or profit. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any opinions expressed by employees of the Rudd Company are the Rudd Company's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of any affiliates. The opinions expressed by guest speakers are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Rudd Company or any affiliates. Guest appearances on this program does not imply the Rudd Company's endorsement of any entity, person, product, service, or investment. All opinions are current and only as of the date of recording and are subject to change without notice.